Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Hot Takes from the Perg, Berg Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mitchell, joined alongside Ian Hatch. How are you doing this morning, Ian? Um, I'm back up here at school in Blacksburg. Got everything moved in, finally all settled. I'm doing really, really good. It feels, I don't know, I'm one of those people that gets real stressed out trying to, you know, move all this stuff. And I, I just hate moving, taking anything from anywhere and putting it somewhere else. It's always... A big hassle, but I always make it have to be more in my head, so it only took me about a couple hours, but uh, it feels good to finally be settled in again. Yeah, um, I'll be back up there on Thursday, and school officially starts tomorrow, Um, but no matter what, you're still going to be able to find us up here uh, every Monday, dropping a new podcast about the NBA, and of course, uh, once NFL news hits, we'll always be dropping those, but we're going into our, I believe, is this the fourth week of NBA basketball done already? It is. Insane how how fast this season is already moving by. Um, but starting us off, we're going into the, the weekly rookie roundup. And one guy I want to talk about real quick. Emmanuel Quickly. This guy has been absolutely balling. Um, in the last, in just the last ten games, uh, especially, uh, ten points, about two assists, about two or about three assists, two rebounds, and almost a steal a game. Um, him on the New York Knicks, he's really been that spark off the bench this team needs. Uh, especially last night against the Boston Celtics, in twenty-one minutes, dropped seventeen and got eight assists and about us and one steal and one block. That that was huge for their their big win over Boston. Yeah, I, I had this guy on my rookie roundup as well. Um, you looked at the last ten games. I'd like to just kind of take it to last week. And over the last week of basketball, he averaged nineteen and a half points per game. I mean, which is an outstanding number to be sitting at for you know a, a point per game average for a rookie. Absolutely outstanding. I think this Knicks team needs him as well like he is a really good fit on this team's perimeter shooting and playmaking ability have been huge for them so far and he still is yet to play over 30 minutes in a game all year I just have to wonder if he was you know given the keys to be able to run this offense what he might be capable of doing because you know his minute to production kind of uh, statistics are off the charts it's absolutely fantastic and I don't think he you know I don't think just because he's on pace to you know almost average 40 points per game over 36 minutes means that that's what he's going to do. But I mean, you could see that the more time this guy gets, the more of an impact he's probably going to have. And it's, I think it's going to be hard for this Knicks team who's pacing the league defensively to keep his offensive talent off the court. I mean, New York has an intriguing backcourt situation with uh, Frank Nielakina, Alfred Payton and Dennis Smith Jr. But it's already kind of beginning to look like quickly might have the most upside of all of those guys. Yeah, it's also insane to think that he, as a rookie, he's averaging a, he almost has a, a little bit over a 16-point PER, which is honestly a very, very good for a rookie, um, especially in the limited amount of time he's had. But Emmanuel quickly has done wonders for this this Knicks front or backcourt, excuse me. 
Um, I'm really liking him. I think he's going to be a, a future future role player, maybe even star for this next team if they develop him correctly. Absolutely. He's got all the potential in the world, and it's really just going to come down to, you know, getting the time on the court. I, I really think once we start to see him, you know, get over 30 minutes, start to play, you know, even just – I would just throw him out there in the starting lineup, honestly. I mean, as good as he's been for this team, I know it can kind of – I know there's a lot of, you know, moving pieces at work here, and that's not always the best solution. But I think you have to try and get this guy on the court more because Emmanuel quickly has been awesome. And especially over the last week, you can really tell he's starting to figure out the game. Um, you know, he has no problems playing at the NBA level, His, especially for his perimeter shooting for me. That's where I think he's going to be a really, really strong player. He can really shoot it from out there. He's got really nice range and that's something that no team can really, you know, turn down in this day and age. So I, I figure it's only a matter of time before we start seeing him either, you know, manning the backcourt or, or getting some more run. Yeah, I hope he will get something like that here very, very soon, especially with how that New York Knicks backcourt looks with Alfred Payton and Dennis Smith Jr. running the one. I do have another uh, rookie that I want to talk about here and he's an unconventional one a 25 year old rookie Jay Sean Tate uh, now this guy is a, a guard for the Houston Rockets he went undrafted in 2018 out of Ohio State and he's finally beginning to have an impact in the NBA he last played for the Sydney Kings in Australia and if you were to just look at his numbers, nothing about what he's done thus far is going to, you know, jump off the page at you. He's only averaging 8.3 points, 4.3 rebounds, and 2.3 assists per game on some decent percentages, 48 from the field, 25 from 30, 65 from the line. I mean, you could obviously, you know, you need improvement from the three-point line and the free throw line. But looking past the numbers, if you've watched any Rockets games, he has been huge for them, especially in the game right after when they traded James Harden. And they were, I think, had like eight guys that could play. And Jay Sean Tate was a huge, huge part of that. And he played absolutely fantastic. He's a stronger than average kind of guy with a knack for making plays when it matters. I mean, as soon as you see him, you can't help but have your eyes drawn to him and what he's doing because you just notice his intensity and passion and just how much he works his tail off. I, he really reminds me of a guy like like Lou Dort for the Thunder last year, like someone that you just come in is kind of, you know, unheralded in, in some regard. And they come in and they just play terrific defense on some of the league's best perimeter options. I mean, I watched – Jay Sean Tate switch with ease onto DeJounte Murray, DeMar DeRozan, even Keldon Johnson. Those guys are each very different and very good scorers in their own right. And he made each one of them rattled. They didn't know what to do. And you don't see that from many rookies defensively. And, and that's why I was so, so impressed with Jay Sean Tate. I think Oladipo, you know, being added to this team is probably going to eat into a lot of the impact that he could probably have. But even so, I still expect to see more Jay Sean Tate on the floor. He's earned a role and he's playing a hell of a good game. I can see why this is the guy that James Harden got in a fight with that practice because I could very easily see Jay Sean Tate being the kind of player to strap up James Harden and piss him off. 
Yeah, I, I feel like he's definitely going to get more of a role now that Harden is gone and he and really all you have in the backcourt is John Wall and Victor Oladipo now. And I I do like Victor Oladipo, but you still don't know what you're fully going to get out of him and if he's going to get injured again. And Jay Sean Tate looks like that that perfect backup two guard uh or or at the three uh that can you can just put out there and he'll go and try his best to lock up uh one of the best players on the court. Absolutely. And I think that he has a, a real bright future in that regard. I mean, you look at the kind of, you know, players in that same mold and the kind of impact and the regard that they begin have began to got lately, just because we've seen so many good defenders, like even going back to guys like Tony Allen. I mean, those guys are a dime a dozen. They're really hard to get. Patrick Beverly, Lou Dort. I mean, if you want to be a really good team, you have to usually have a guy like that. And Jay Sean Tate looks like he could potentially be one of the best in the league at doing that. He's 25. He still has a whole lot of growth ahead of him. And just to see a player play as hard as he does is very refreshing. And I really can appreciate that about his game. And one more guy I want to – or I have two more guys, but I think everyone – can agree that Lamella Ball is proving to be what everyone doubted him to be coming into the league. I mean, he he's almost he's leading the rookies in three out of the five major categories, uh, with rebounds, assists, and steals, and he's just barely behind Anthony Edwards in points, with him averaging about eleven point eight and Edwards averaging about twelve point five points per game. The only thing he's not on blocks for a top five. Like, LaMelo has come into this league and shown that he can be a future superstar lately. Absolutely. The only question marks I had about him were everything that was non-basketball related. Well, I had a little bit of question about his perimeter shooting. Uh, I just wanted to see that. A higher percentage was really the only thing that I, I could think about with that. And I think he had a couple of kinks in his mechanics. But to be as gifted as he is, it really helps that as the more I watch him, the more I realize how much he loves the game. I have no doubts that he absolutely loves basketball, that he's been prepared to make this his living for as long as he can remember. And it helps when he has the skill level that he does. I mean, he is extremely talented. He just makes one of the players that makes everyone on the court with him better. And you can tell that guys want to play with. And that is something that doesn't come around that often. We probably have, you know, three or three, four or five guys maybe in the league that are like that. And I'm already getting to the point where I can say that he's one of them based off of his play in this young season. It also helps that he's on a Hornets team that has a a very young team around him. And then a few veterans, one notable one is Gordon Hayward that can really help develop these young guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the the Hornets are a team that is beginning to look like a legitimate threat for the playoffs. Um, I really do think that they can make that push. I didn't expect that they were going to be able to make that push this year, but the play from Lomelo Ball and everybody else on that roster, I mean, it has gotten better. P.J. Washington is an improved sophomore this year. Bismack Biombo is 
and not the best, but you could probably do a little bit worse at the center position in the league. If he fills his role really, really nice. Miles Bridges is really beginning to show his athleticism and his versatility for, you know, what he could possibly do in this league. I, I've really been, you know, intrigued by some of his developments. Terry Rozier is also showing why he, he got the huge contract from the Hornets and is kind of doubling down on that. And they really haven't even gotten anything, you know, that major out of Devontae Graham to this point in the season. So if they could ever get something out of that guy who last year looked like he'd be one of the, you know, premier shooters in this league, they could really, really make some noise. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see how this Charlotte Hornets team continues this season. Right now they're sitting at 6-8 and eight at the 8th seed of the Eastern Conference, uh, just barely above the New York Knicks. I'm not sure what exactly the tiebreaker means there. But it, this Charlotte Hornets team is a, is a fun young team to watch, and I'm actually enjoying watching Charlotte basketball for the first time ever. Yeah, that is something that I never would have thought would have come out of my mouth. But a player like LaMelo Ball will do that for your franchise. And that's what that's what I was goes back to what I was talking about. There's only three or five guys in this league that have that just it factor. And I can already tell you that LaMelo Ball has it. Uh, do you have anyone else? Because I have one more guy. I don't have anybody else. Take it away. Uh, the last guy I have is Sadiq Bay of the Detroit Pistons. Oh my God, I am loving this guy right now. Um, he he's really he doesn't have a huge role right now. He's playing about 22 minutes a game, uh, but he's averaging in in that time he's averaging 10 points, uh, four rebounds, and one assist. And he he's taking advantage of every little thing he can get. I especially with how packed that Detroit Pistons front court is he he's really really trying everything he got right now yeah uh, Sadiq Bey is a player that I loved coming out of college I absolutely loved him I remember talking about him on our on our mock draft I, I pinned him as the most pro ready player in this draft or I don't want to say the most but of all the players after you know the the top of the draft he was the easiest plug and play guy. I mean, he just has a game that will translate to any level of basketball. He's a very, very intelligent player, very, very smart. You can, it's something about these Villanova guys. I don't know what it is. They can just do it all from the second they touch the court. I was watching the Pelicans game yesterday and I just, the whole time I was so, so impressed by Josh Hart. He, he doesn't do that many things that, you know, make it on the stat sheet, but he's everywhere on the floor doing everything getting his, you know getting into positions that he has no business being in and actually holding his own like boxing out centers and, and doing things like that and I think that Sadiq Bey is almost a carbon copy of that kind of a mold he's a little bit bigger I think he's a better shooter coming into the you know coming into the NBA than than Hart was but see a lot of similarities in their game. And I, I really, really like him. He, like I said, he's just an easy plug and play kind of guy. You don't have to worry about really anything. You just know that he's going to make the right play more times than not. And he plays really, really impressive defense. It works his tail off and is one of those guys that can take on, you know, the tougher assignments in the league. And I, I really love the pick from the minute that the Pistons made it. And he's really starting to show off what he can do. The only thing I don't like is like you said, that front court is packed. And even, you know, a little bit outside 
of the front court to the, you know, the small forward position. They've got him, Sekou Dumboya can play a little bit of that or is forced to play a little bit of that thanks to how crowded their front court is. Jeremy Grant also is, you know, uh, that uh, kind of in that tweener mold can can really do either one. They still have Blake Griffin and, and Josh Jackson is another guy who's played really, really well mm-hmm. in this young season for this team. So they have a lot of options in the front court and it's just, it's hard to see him getting too many more minutes. Yeah, I, I really do feel bad for Sadiq Bay. Um, drafted into a situation where, depending on how well other players play and if he if his play dips down a little bit his minutes could drop significantly yeah you do hate but, to it, see it, but if I he keeps up that. what he's go ahead if he keeps up what he's doing i don't see his minutes dropping at all yeah that's exactly what i was going to say I, I think the ball is more in his court than anything and I, I don't i wouldn't pin him as a player that you can expect to go cold anytime soon like i said even when he does, has a game where he might score four points, I guarantee you, if you watch the game, he had a much bigger impact than the four points will ever show. And for that reason, I, I really, really like Sadiq Bay. I think he's going to be a really good player for his entire career. And I think he's going to be a, a really good player on some really good teams in the future. So he's definitely a player to keep your eye on for sure. Now, shall we move on to who's hot? Absolutely. I, I have to keep this one off because you started off and you, you you took my Emmanuel quickly pick. Uh, I did. I was very happy you let me touch on him a little bit, but I got a feeling that this guy's probably on your list, and I, I do not want you to take him from me. And that guy is Nikhil Alexander Walker. Yep. <laughs> the the sophomore out of you know our school, Virginia Tech, has long been a favorite player of mine. Obviously, just because of our collegiate ties, but it extends further than that as I've just long been really intrigued over his potential as an NBA player Uh, being the basketball fan that I am and you know always loving Virginia Tech basketball you don't get to see too many draft picks and from the minute we signed this guy as a five-star recruit I was really really excited at his potential and what he could possibly do and we're finally starting to see him deliver on that and it was never you know thanks to poor play on the court from this guy. It was just for lack of opportunity. He, he really never got the chance last year to, to really get any meaningful run. And when he did in the summer league, he was one of the best players in the entire thing. So you knew that the talent and the potential was there. It was just going to, you know, be waiting for the opportunity. And man, when he got it, he delivered. That huge 37-point game versus the Clippers is something I won't forget for a very, very long time. And watching him draw the defense of Kawhi Leonard and Patrick Beverly for the majority of the game made his play even more impressive to me. He's skilled way beyond his years. Coming out of college, I I really compared him to Manu Ginobili. I really do think that's a very, very good comp for this guy. He's not going to beat you with his athleticism, but he is a highly, highly skilled guard who can really, really shoot it from deep. And that's exactly what we saw from him. Uh, in his second season, he's already doubling, doubled his scoring up to this point at 11.6 points per game. And his shooting numbers have gone from 36% from the field up to 48%. You can just see his confidence growing with every basket that he gets, every opportunity he gets, every touch he gets. And of all the guards currently in New Orleans, 
I think he has the best chance at being the best fit in the long run to run the show with his shooting ability. With the tanks down low, Zion Williamson and Steven Adams, you really have to complement that with as much parameter shooting as possible around those guys. And if there's anything we know about Nikhil, it's that he's a knockdown shooter. Yeah. Um, and in just these last five games, he's averaging about 15 points per game, um, about four and a half rebounds and a little over two assists. While he's not the greatest playmaker, he definitely knows how to. Like he he's had games where he's had about five, six assists, but he's not gonna be like the the main ball handler of your team. He's me that guy that can can handle the ball a little bit, but is is mainly gonna be that shooter for you. Um, like you said, he, he's almost he's at about forty eight, about thirty nine percent from three. Uh, I like to see his free throw percentage go up a little bit. It's only at about a seventy seven percent right now, but still. Just his his scoring ability is terrifying. Yeah. Definitely one of those players that it, it feels like, you know, with three made baskets, it, you feel like he's already on fire. And maybe it's just because of how much I love him. And if I see him make three shots in a row, I, I'm, you know, up out of my seat freaking out. But it's just, he, I love his potential. I love what he can offer to this, this Pelicans team. And I, I've loved him being in New Orleans since – you know, he got traded there from the Nets on draft night. Uh, I thought it was a really great situation for him to be in. I love the fact that he got to play. They were Him and Zion were my two favorite players going into the draft, and I was so, so happy that they got to be teamed up together, and I'm very, very excited at what a Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Zion Williamson pick and roll can look like in the future for this team. I do think that both of those guys can be staples for this Pelicans team. And I I know I bring him up every single episode, but I just have to bring him up again. Nikola Jokic is is by far one of the best players in the NBA, especially this season. Yeah. He he is the main reason the Nuggets are still relevant right now. Because Jamal Murray hasn't really brought back that that steam he had in the bubble i mean the loss of jeremy grant um bulbo and michael porter jr haven't really been living up to expectations but no matter what you can rely on nikola Jokic to either get someone else a bucket or get you a bucket he still the the only player in the nba averaging a triple double right now Leading the league in assist as a center, uh, averaging about 25, 11 and a half, and 10. First in the league in PER with the 31.43. He is absolutely astounding on the stat sheet. And it's not even just stats. Watching him play the game of basketball, it, it reminds me a lot of a more, athlet, more athletic Dirk Nowitzki. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I'd say this is going to be probably the weirdest uh, comparison I've ever made on this podcast, but I would almost compare it to like what he's doing right now to James Harden. I remember when James Harden got to that point where I I just kind of felt like he had everything figured out. Like there was nothing that you could throw at that guy to throw him off his game. It just felt like he had almost broken the game of basketball. And it 
it feels a similar way watching Nikola Jokic. It just feels like no matter what you do, he has the perfect answer for it. You send two guys at him, he's one of the best passers in the entire league. Positions don't even matter. If you send one guy on him, he'll take you to the post and get a bucket. If you put a smaller guy on him, it's obviously a post bucket. If you put a bigger guy on him, he's probably going to turn right past him and get right to the basket. I mean, there is nothing that you can do with this man. I I can't figure out how you stop him, how you slow him down. I I guess you just have to hope that he's not looking to, you know, score 30 and, and, you know, get a triple-double this night. That's the only thing in my mind that can stop him right now. He has absolutely been one of the best players in the entire league this season, and I think, you know, we're not at the point really just yet to start throwing out, you know, MVP claims, but I think if anyone has a, a good shot, it's got to be Nikola Jokic, and I think he has to be the front runner at this point. You know, I've I've really been thinking about this lately, uh, just thinking about older basketball. I think there's only one center in the NBA that has more moves in his bag than Nikola Jokic, and that was a prime Hakeem Olajuwon. Ooh. I don't think there's – I can't think of another center in the NBA that has as deep of a bag as Nikola Jokic other than Hakeem. Because Hakeem was probably the most – the center that had everything in his bag. I don't think there was a single move that he couldn't do. Well, also the basically the inventor of 90% of those moves, for sure. Hakeem was – one of the best post players of all time, definitely. And I definitely see exactly what you're saying. I mean, and I completely agree. I can't give you any answers about how you stop him because there's nothing I haven't seen him do yet. He can hit it from anywhere on the court. He's got – the thing that I think gets lost in all of his ability is his ball handling. The reason why he's such a valuable passer and, you know, so good at getting to the rim and getting around big guys is because – most of the other big men in the league just can't dribble or handle the basketball the way he can. Like, yeah, it's always so weird to watch him spin and get right around a much more athletic center in this league, but he does it because those centers aren't usually put on an island and asked to defend somebody with the ball handling skills that he does. Like, it's so extremely insane to me how talented and good he is. I mean – when you combine that with his size, stature, and position, there's really nothing you can do with him. Yeah, I Nicole, if if I had to pick an MVP right now, it's going to be Jokic. Um, I really want to see him win at least one in his career, and I think he has the best shot to win it this year. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I you want to talk about – you want to talk about Russell Westbrook averaging a triple double? Yeah, he's a point guard. You're like that's that's a little bit more reasonable. But imagine a center averaging a triple double. That's that's out of this world. Yeah, that is definitely unheard of. For my next player here, I've got a guy that I just I think it's weird that not a lot of people are talking about, and I understand. And that's Malik Beasley. There is. Little reason to ever tune into a Timberwolves game this season due to thanks to injuries and overall just lackluster play. But Malik Beasley's performances have been flying right under the radar. Shooting guard out of Florida State has 
God is scoring up to 17 points per game this season and is proving himself as another true dead eye in this league. If you watch this man shoot the basketball one time, you can tell he is not lacking any confidence. Every single time he pulls up, there's no doubting. There's no second guessing. Every shot is confident. And I, I'm telling you, every time I see him pull up, I think it's going in. Every time. His shooting is very impressive, especially given the high volume nature of his shooting. He's asked to essentially be that guy for this Timberwolves team. And he's taking this, taking the threes, nine attempts per game, eight attempts per game, 10 attempts per game. He's up there with some of the league's highest and he deserves to be because he's really, really knocking them down. And I think his, his finishing and ball handling and, you know, just overall ability outside of shooting has also come together a lot more this year for him. I think, He's arguably been the, the most consistent threat on the Timberwolves all season, and it is proving why the Wolves invested $60 million in the shooter in the offseason. I think a lot of people thought it might be a little bit high of a contract. I think people don't really realize that half of these contracts for younger players are, you know, with potential in mind and, and things like that. So I think a lot of people might I think it was a little crazy that he got that high of a number. I didn't think it was that crazy. I thought it was a little bit of a maybe a bad fit with you know then them getting the the number one overall pick and selecting a player that plays his exact position but with the way Millie Beasley could shoot the basketball you could you'll find a spot in your lineup for him anywhere because you need that shooting in today's NBA and whenever they get healthy the Wolves will have to take off with the amount of talent on this roster I mean with you know, the immersion of Malik Beasley, who's beginning to look like he could really be the third best player on a really good basketball team. You could easily see that being behind Carl Anthony Towns and, and D'Angelo Russell. But we just got to see both of those guys get on the court and play well together before I'm willing to give any any awards to the Timberwolves. It's also crazy to think that Denver had a yet another 20-point-per-game scorer on their team at one point and just let them go. I mean, that's what three already, especially this season, like Donovan Mitchell, Malik Beasley and uh, Jeremy Grant. Well, Hey, 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 Jeremy Grant does not count. He's a thunder boy. Nah, that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, especially just this past week, like, yeah, Minnesota hasn't really been playing all that well, but they don't really have, too much around them right now, especially with all these injuries. But Malik Beasley has been going off. Yeah. Uh, 29 against San Antonio, 24 against San Antonio again, and then 28 on the 13th against the Grizzlies. And all those games are really – he's shooting very efficiently. Yeah. If you had to ask me right now who's one player that would probably surprise most people to have, like, 50 points this year, I would pick Malik Beasley. I think he's that level of a, a kind of catch fire shooter. Yeah, I'm it's it's only a matter of time until everyone catches on to how good Malik Beasley is. Absolutely. Now, one more guy I have. Uh everyone likes to clown on him a lot, but that's Paul George. Yes. This man. He he's really he's really taken fire to what's been said about him, especially over these last few months. Yeah. 
even just this season, I mean, he's averaging about 25, 6, and 5. But over these last these last few games, I mean, they're, they're on a four-game winning streak right now against Chicago, New Orleans, Sacramento, and Indiana. And that Sacramento game was almost a 40-point blowout. Right, right now, Paul George is shooting 50% from the field, 51% from three, and 92% from the line. He's shooting 50-50-90. That's crazy. And we're 14 games into the season. I mean, yeah. It blew my mind that, I, first of all, I do understand the two, really three, lackluster playoff performances in a row, especially with, you know, this last year he drummed it up himself. And I get it. And I think this that it was truly the first playoff that he went into healthy in a long time. And I really do think that he believed he was going to take that jump. But I, he openly came out about his mental struggles in the bubble. And that's something that I don't think any of us, you know, unless we've gone through them ourselves, could really wrap our head around. And I was never going to beat up a guy for, you know, coming out and, you know, really opening up about how vulnerable he really was. Because we, a lot of times we think about these guys as superheroes, but they are no different than us. They just happen to be most of the time over six feet tall and, and are really good at basketball. So, I mean, they are really just people. And I, I thought it was really admirable for him to even do that. But then to just see people continue to clown on him and, and do all of that, I, I just waited. I just waited. I know who Paul George is. I watched him be as strong of an MVP candidate as possible in the one year with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I know exactly what he's about. Uh, I know – I knew he would get back to this level of play. It was just a matter of time. And he has been on fire. The last thing that you should ever want to do is motivate a top 20 player in the league even more. I mean, because at, at that point, you're just it's just going to be scary. And that's exactly what Paul George has been this season. Talk, I talked about Malik Beasley when he shoots it. I think it's going in. Every single shot that comes out of Paul George's hand, I think is going in this season. And that's just based off of his track record, especially from three. The 51% from three, I knew. I didn't know what the number was going to be. But as soon as you got to three-point percentage, I knew it had to be astronomical because you don't see him miss that many threes. And he is high volume from there all season. He's been lighting teams up. And, I mean, Paul George has got to also be in that MVP candidate running at this point in the season. I've been very, very impressed with him. And, you know, the thing that you get with Paul George, you get it on both sides of the court as well. And, and that's a value that few, few players in this league can offer. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying watching Paul George this season. That Clippers team in general, like, they they have something to prove this year. And they they really need to step it up and win a ship this year. Yeah. But there is one more guy that I want to talk about, and that that's my boy, uh, Mr. Luka Doncic, uh, my my original MVP pick. And if y'all if y'all watched him early on in the season, y'all would think this is not the Luka Doncic everyone expected. Uh, shooting absolutely terrible from three, but the 
the entire month of January, he's really turned it around, especially um, these last three games uh, against Charlotte, Milwaukee, and Chicago. He's, he's another guy that it's another – I don't know if it's just a foreign thing, but he's also almost averaging a triple-double with 28, 10, and 9.5. And I mean, Luka is probably one of the most talented young players in the NBA, if not the most talented young player in the NBA. Everybody it, – it, for so long it's been – we've been trying to figure out who takes the crown when LeBron James inevitably hangs them up and it it started to look like Giannis and I won't lie. There's a a really good shot that it is Giannis. He will probably be the the front runner of the league when LeBron retires. But if I had to put my money on it, I would put it on Doncic. I, I view him in that kind of a light. He is just a wonder kid, a special uh, words can't describe his rookie season was still the most insane rookie season I've ever seen. I've never seen a player enter the league that skilled, that polished. And now you look two years later and he is a legitimate front runner for MVP. It's a level of talent that we, I can't really remember. I really can't. And he, there's nothing he can't do on the basketball court with the ball in his hands. Literally nothing. He makes plays that, you just make your jaw drop. He's that special of a talent. And I, I will say one thing, I, I love Luca as much as anybody, but one thing that's starting to get on my nerves is his, his actions. I've, he's been whining, complaining, um, uh, blaming very, very, uh, I don't want to say toxic, but I, that's the only word that I can really come up with in regards to his teammates I watched one game where it was the Mavericks had the final possession to win the game I can't remember exactly who they were playing but the ball was in Trey Burke's hands Trey Burke can't do anything gets to the rim gets blocked Um, they get an offensive rebound they kick out and someone else shoots it and they missed as well and Luca stood at the top of the key for, or the top of the three-point line the entire possession with his arms up trying to get the ball while he wasn't moving, wasn't doing anything off the ball to try and open him up, open himself up to receive the ball and then was so vehemently upset on the sideline. And I, I thought that was a really, really, really bad thing to do, especially being since you didn't do anything in the entire possession. And I'm used to that being Luka time. You know, Luca gets the final shot no matter what. No matter if you're playing a backyard basketball game or you're playing game seven NBA finals, the ball gets in his hands no matter what. And to watch him be so disengaged and disinterested, but then yet again so upset when it didn't work out, it really blew my mind. I didn't think about him in that light. And I'm just telling you, look, Luca is could be on a slippery slope to being a, a player that is yeah, it's annoying to watch. Yeah, that is uh, a a little un- insane. Um, but I will say, last last night against the Bulls, one of the yes, they came out with the loss, but Luca had one of the most dominant NBA performances of of all time. Uh, a thirty six, sixteen and fifteen triple double. 
insane. I think he's he's the fourth player of all time to get that. Which is insane. It is very impressive, but after the game, for all I just said, like I said, I want you to understand, I love Luca, And the only reason why I would even bring things like that up is because he's at that level where I can nitpick. And I will say I got a lot of respect back for him after watching him last night come out and say, you know, we lost this game because of me and how selfish I was. That he said that, you know, after his really, really good first half, I think he was 11 for 18 with like 30 points in the first half. And also very, very close to the triple-double, or maybe he even had it secured. I can't quite remember. But he said then after that, he came out and was trying to basically have the most insane game ever. That's what he was trying to do. And it, it definitely cost him the game. I mean, he was two for 12 in the second half. Um, yeah, he got the rebounds and assists and all that. But what matters in this league is winning uh, above all. Um, I think that the, you know, a lot of people have watched what Russell Westbrook did and we're trying to emulate that, but I don't really hold a triple double as, you know, the ultimate sign of, of success. Uh, I think that comes from winning and just me watching you on the court. And just to hear that from Luca, I, like I said, I gained a lot of respect back for him because I, I think that, you know, he's been a little bit upset with himself and his team's play at this point in the season. And I think he kind of may, is maybe realizing that, you know, okay, I'm, I got ahead of myself. I need to calm down. I need to slow down and, and just breathe and just play my game. And in that moment, I hope that he learns from this. I really do. I hope that, you know, in the future, he can just, you know, continue playing the way that he needs to play to win the game. Instead of, you know, trying to secure the most insane triple-double of all time. Because, yeah, that is cool. But I could tell you it is going to be forgotten that much easier if it's in a loss. People really remember the good games that happen when you get the win or when you do something to secure a win. Those are the ones that really matter. So I think that he's learning that. And I only nitpick because I think of him so highly. Um, I will say the Mavericks were on a, a nice 16 win streak until these, these last two games on Friday and Sunday. And I'm hoping they can pick that back up. Um, I will, ch- I can say, I think some of those things can be chalked up to Lucas still being young. I mean, he's not even 22 yet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, he's an, M- he's an MVP in the Euro league, but he's still only 21 years old. Like he's he's still one of the the younger players in the NBA. Like you can't just say, "Oh, he did this bad thing." Like like LeBron made mistakes like those when he was younger. Every every NBA player will make those kind of mistakes. But I, I have a feeling Luka will definitely bounce back from this. This Mavericks team will bounce back, and really to have a, a great season. I mean, last season they almost beat the the Clippers with basically just Luka on the team. Yeah. He is um, as talented a player as you could possibly ask for, and the sky is really his his potential. And you are right. You know, a lot of times we can forget that the guy is only 22. 
like you said, and, and you know, seeing somebody who's the most skilled 22 year old you've ever seen, it's so easy to then forget that, that at the end of the day, he is 22 and he does still have a lot to learn. I mean, it, it is crazy. And I think I did get, you know, a little bit lost in that, but like I said, I just think so highly of him. I really do think that he'll be the best basketball player in the league before it's all said and done at one point. And I expect it to probably come, you know, sooner than later. You know, I, I think that's how highly I view him. I love Luca. I've loved him since I first watched him play in the Euro League. And like you said, he was Euro League MVP playing against pros at 18 years old. That has never happened in their entire league's history. And watching him play in the NBA, I can absolutely see why he is that good. Also, as we're recording right now, the New York Knicks are currently leading the Orlando Magic 49 to 40, uh, basically just entering the third quarter right now. And and speaking of the Orlando Magic, I going into who's not hot, and that's that's the Orlando Magic. And I feel bad bringing them into this because of everything that's happened to them but they are on a five-game losing streak. Yeah. And, yes, they've had some some terrible injuries. Jonathan Isaac going down very early uh, and just the bubble and then losing uh, arguably one of their best players on the team in, in Marco Foltz. But that doesn't mean I can't bring them up in this. Yeah. I'll tell you something that, that I feel bad for or someone that I feel bad for, and that's Nikola Vucevic. I think he is quietly, for what, the sixth year in a row now, one of the league's most underappreciated best players. This you If you turn on a Magic game, I guarantee you, you leave that game thinking, man, that guy is good. And he is. He's another player. I won't say Jokic-like, because obviously I don't think that there's a passer in the league you know, from the big man or from the center position of his caliber. But offensively, all the other things other than that, Vucevic is kind of right there with him. I mean, he is that level of a scorer. And it's really, really sad for me to kind of watch his entire career go, you know, unnoticed, basically. Yeah, I I really do feel bad for Vucevic. I mean – He's fourth right now in PER. He's 22nd in points per game. Just losing Markel Fultz really hindered this team. I mean, they started off 4-0, and lost two games in a row, went on uh, won two games against Cleveland, and then they just haven't won since that huge Houston blowout. Yeah. It's not looking up for this team, but – I will, I'm willing to concede exactly what you just said. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with outside circumstances, injuries. This team looked really, really good, really, really good. And they were without probably their, what figures to be, you know, their best player of the future in Jonathan Isaac. And for that to be the case, you know, I was extremely impressed with them to begin the season, but it just feels like, it's been too many bad breaks for this Orlando Magic team. I can't think of a team in the league that could overcome those kind of circumstances. So it, it really feels bad for them. You can only pray that, you know, that their player, injured players come back healthier than ever. 
and they really get a chance to run it all together at some point because I it's always sad to me when you see these teams that we never really ever get to find out what their potential may be because we never see the whole package on the floor together and this Orlando Magic team sadly at this point is one of those teams yeah I hope um, first Jonathan Isaac and Marco Fultz to have a speedy and healthy recovery um, because both those guys are a huge piece of this this Orlando Magic's future. Absolutely. But, like, Vucevic is in probably the, the worst situation. I mean, also another guy in a bad situation is Mo Bamba. Um, I feel bad for him. He's never really had a, a true shot because of how many big men are in that on that team. Well, and it also just goes to the, you know, it goes to just show how good Vucevic is. He's basically between his play and you know some injury issues for Bamba, basically never even let him have a shot at, at figuring out what he can possibly do in this league. So. I think that has to go, you know, some way of showing you how good Vucevic is. And I do also feel bad for Mobamba. I mean, I thought the absolute world of him coming out of college as well with the, the go-go gadget arms that uh, the likes I had never seen before. And it just sadly has never really panned out for him. He might be too much of a one-trick pony, but I, I can't even tell you because I haven't seen him on the court that much. And it is a tough break. Um, so hopefully this Orlando Magic team can maybe turn around and make the playoffs. But at this point, maybe you just you just sit the season out and wait till your players come back. Yeah. Sadly. Very, very sadly. All right, you got any uh who's not hot? I really don't. Uh, it's it's really hard for me at this point in the season to, you know, really peg anybody who's uh, really not, you know, performing the way. I do have one thing that uh, it's probably not the best fit here, but I'd call this more of a bad break than who's not. And that is Karis Levert being out indefinitely after a mass was found on his kidney during the medical evaluation portion of, you know, the trade protocol. And, and it's just such a, a shitty thing to happen. I can't think of any other word to use. It, it just absolutely sucks. We, you know, go dating back to our James Harden trade breakdown, that that was the piece that, you know, we probably talked the most about was Karis LeVert even more than James Harden, just because I, I know we both loved the situation that he was going to. I mean, I, I, my thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family during this time. I mean, we can only hope for good news and his health, but it is a tough, tough break for both him and the Indiana Pacers because I know they were both looking forward to, you know, having one another. Uh, I think Harris LeVert almost needed the Pacers just as much as they needed him. I think he needs a situation where he can be allowed to break out because I, I do think that that is, you know, in his future. I think he's that good of a player, and I don't even think we've seen him scratch the surface of what he could do on a basketball court. So. To, to see this happen to him is is really heartbreaking. But like I said, we can only hope and pray that, you know, everything works out for him, that he can return back to the court in, in good health. 
Um, another guy that was a, a big injury, CJ McCollum, uh, with a sprained foot getting his MRI. Uh, hopefully he can come back to that Portland Trailblazers team that really needs his scoring. Uh, the the Trailblazers have looked really really good this season. I mean they're eight and five. They're fifth in the in the Western Conference, and they're right now one of. I think they're currently the highest scoring. They're the second highest scoring team in the NBA right now. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, they're they're fourth behind uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Chicago Bulls. That was a weird team to hear all the way up there. But this this Portland Trailblazers team has looked really really impressive, especially especially the backcourt with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. I mean, absolutely, that's the calling card of their entire team. They were, you know, the OG, you know, conversation starter of you know best backcourt in the league. It was always them, the Warriors or the or the Wizards, and. You know, at this, it's weird to think, but at this point, they're the only ones, at least this season, left standing. And they are an absolute, I don't even know how to describe what it's like watching both of those guys go at it or or just be on the court together. I mean, it is as much offense as you can possibly imagine. And I think this is the best overall roster that 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 Blazers team has had with Damian Lillard throughout all of the years, I think this is the most talented. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, you know, they can do in the postseason. This is a team that's been to the Western Conference Finals. And I think that this, even over that roster, is better. And I really think that they have some intriguing potential and can really make some noise. And And I do think that they are one of the teams that people don't really consider. But I think they can make a run for the championship this year. I know a lot of people think that might be out of their realm. But I think anytime you – best player is as good as Damian Lillard and uh, he has a compliment as good as CJ McCollum you have a shot I think the bigger break for them was Yusuf Nurkic being out for eight weeks that also hurts big big time he was I will say had he not gotten hurt he probably would have been on my who's not he he really hasn't been the player that I saw him be in the bubble at this point in the season which is really weird to me because coming up you know his play in the bubble was coming straight off of an injury he he had literally just gotten cleared for that they didn't even expect him to be in the bubble and he ended up going in the bubble and he looked fantastic and I haven't seen him deliver on any of that after that point in the season so that's a tough break but I don't know maybe he needs another injury to to be able to come back and really turn things on so only time will tell but this Portland Trailblazers is team is legit and they need to get healthy fast. I will say one one person on that team that I that has really disappointed me this season is Robert Cummington, at least on the offensive end. I mean, absolutely terrible shooting percentages, especially over these especially over the like the last two games against Indiana Atlanta. Uh seven percent from about ten percent from the field and about 17% from three. Did you just say 10% from the field? Yeah. Wow. I need to sit down and have a talk with that man. That is- yeah, Roko has not been the offensive presence he has been in the past, but on the defense end, he's been playing really, really well. Just I think he needs to pick up the load on the offense end a, l- a little more. 
Yeah, I think for him being, you know, a predominantly three and D kind of a player, I think, you know, anytime three point shots not working, you can probably, I mean, it has to really, really not be working, but that's how you could see a guy getting down into that 10. God, I can't even wrap my head around that. It's so crazy. 10% from the field. But, um, you know, that's really the only thing that he's ever asked to, you know, really do on offense for the most part. So a couple of bad shooting performances can get you down there. But um, I know who Rocco is. I know he'll bounce back. I know there's better play ahead of him. And the one thing that, you know, is the light at the end of the tunnel with a guy like Rocco is that he can give you that and also play tremendous defense all game. So it's a give and take sometimes, but I'd say it's more give than take. Yeah, I, I'm not really worried about Rocco for the the remainder of the season. I just had to bring that up because that's just absolutely insane. Yeah, no, you're all right about that. <laughs> but I think that's going to wrap us up for, for this NBA podcast. I hope you all enjoyed us just talking about basketball for about an hour. Um, it's something we both really enjoy doing. And it's a, a fun sport to talk about, especially with um, all the, the craziness going on. It's just something to something to get the mind off of. There's no better way to end a day than to just sit down and watch some basketball. So if you guys get the opportunity to do that, I would just really encourage you guys to soak up as much as you can with all the things going on in the league this year, at times I even wonder how much longer this will go on. And at times I wonder, you know, what the second half of the season may look like. I don't think it's a safe bet to to say that it's going to look the exact same as it's, you know, laid out to be right now. And I think that there could be big changes coming in the league format very, very soon. Uh, you never know. I have no inside sources. Nobody's in my ear telling me this it's just a gut feeling it makes me really nervous to watch all these postponements and all these kind of things and watch teams not even be able to field a roster for a game obviously you know we're dealing with the pandemic that we've never in my lifetime at least encountered something on this scale so uh, just continue to be safe I know that you know we kind of like to think that we're out of it all the time but I promise you it's still out there and it is really really hard to put a sport on during something like this so just continue to be thankful for what we can get and make sure that you you know are just watching the games and enjoying them while they're here I'm not saying I'm not like I said trying to say that they'll be gone tomorrow but you do never know last year I thought we were going to get a full season and then out of nowhere the Thunder and, and the Jazz got postponed and canceled and then Gobert had COVID, and then there goes the season. So just enjoy it while it's here. And with that, that's going to wrap us up. I've been your host, Jason Mitchell, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. We'll see you all next time. Adios.